pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Jesus has been addressed by the Pharisees, asking him why he and his disciples did not wash their hands before eating, as was the ceremonial custom and ritual. And Jesus responds to them with another question. He says, and why do you forsake the commandment of God because of your traditions? And now we've heard the response from Jesus to the Pharisees. He turns from those Pharisees, begins to address the crowd, and rather than being concerned with outer cleanliness, Jesus is focusing on inward purity. And he begins in verse 10 of chapter 15 to address the crowd that's looking on and he says to them he called the people to him and said hear and understand it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person but what comes out of the mouth this defiles a person then the disciples came and said to him do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the same he answered every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up let them alone they are blind guides and if the blind lead the guy lean the blind both will fall into a pit but Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. What comes out of your mouth reveals what's in your heart. What comes out reveals what's already in. The words I use reveal the life and ultimately the eternal state that I choose. Jesus says you'll give an account for every idle word one day. Some of us are the verbal versions of the Incredible Hulk. We're kind and gracious one minute, then spewing off at the mouth the next when things don't go our way. Jesus says there's a reason for that. Because there's war going on in your heart. This past week I had an interesting experience. I got on Facebook noticed a couple of comments from believers that I thought were a little bit inappropriate to be put on there. Made me mad. Didn't think about what I was going to write in Anger Decks. And I talked about how believers were hurting their witness by writing these types of things. Got a lot of responses and interaction out of that and uh, more interaction than I wanted to. But I thought what was interesting, one of the people put on one of those comments, a, a pastor out of my home church who's a friend of mine, he put a country wisdom saying, and sometimes there's a lot to be said for country wisdom, and he just wrote this, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. And there's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? And it's not just vulgar and offensive language that we use, it's also ridicule, it's also slander, it's gossip, it's things that we think that we would never say in front of Jesus, and yet we have no problem saying them to his brothers and sisters. We would never say in front of the Father, but we have no problem saying in front of his children. So Jesus gives this statement, the disciples come and they say, look, we've heard from you, we've heard from the Pharisees, they're offended at what you're saying. The Pharisees weren't very hard to offend, by the way. They were the righteous people of the day, they knew the law, they kept it legally, but their heart was in the wrong, wrong place. And in this case, there's something different 
that's taking place. Jesus isn't just rebuking them privately now. He's putting them out in the open. He's rebuking them publicly. He's undermining their tradition, which threatens to decrease their influence among the people to where they are no longer going to be the spiritual kings of the hill. And from this point, they begin to plot to overthrow him and to kill him and to see how they can do it without having a mob come after them because power is very, very hard to give up, especially if it's involuntary. Your words reveal what's in your heart. But then Jesus goes on from there. He also tells us that your fruit is revealed by your root. The fruit that you produce is revealed by the root to which you cling. And the Bible has a lot to say about the relationship between the plant kingdom and between the animal kingdom. You think about this. One scientist wrote some of these things, a Christian astronomer by the name of David Bradstreet. He wrote this, Our planet is home to some 10 to 14 million species of living things. He says, even consider the dandelion. Anybody got problems with dandelions? You got to root those out in your garden? He says, they're worldwide... And each of these dandelions can disperse from the flowering head 50 to 175 seeds to the winds. One single dandelion plant can create more than 2,000 seeds. And often they stay right in your front and backyards, don't they? Or consider the, the, the power of plants, what all they can do. They allow us to eat sunlight. Plants produce oxygen, build topsoil, hold it in place, prevent floods, sequester carbon dioxide, buffer extreme weather, and even clean our water. There are plants growing right now at the bottom of the oceans, and the reason they're able to do it is because there are chemical nutrients coming out of the events in the ocean floor. And just as God has designed His creation to be rooted in nature, so also He has designed you and me to be rooted in His person. And so Jesus will say things like, I am the vine, you are the branches, I have to be the source of your strength in order for you to be able to survive. He will say, it is my Father's will that you produce much fruit, good works, spiritually speaking. At one point, Jesus goes out of town and he passes a dead fig tree, and it's kind of this bizarre situation. I wonder what the disciples are thinking. Jesus looks at the fig tree, he says it's dead, it's not producing fruit, and he curses it. And he compares it to what it will be like to a person who claims Christ but has no fruit on the day of judgment. They will be cast out and they will be banished because they are dead. And if your heart is not planted in the soil of God's harvest, it will be rooted up. In Bible times, the way that they separated the wheat from the chaff was through the threshing floor. They would beat that wheat down on the threshing floor. The chaff would come up, the wind would drive it away. That's what's going to happen on the day of judgment to those who are not rooted in the Word of God. Yesterday, my brother um, got married. My, my younger brother, who's taller than me, so I call him my little brother. That's not quite accurate. And I got to spend some time at our, at our home. It's the so the first memory I have is walking into our home. I was almost uh, three years old. We've been there ever since. Mom still lives there. And in our home, it's about two acres, front and backyard. And every year, my brother and I, before mowing season started, we were responsible for digging up sticker bushes. Anybody ever had to do that? And we used to try to cheat. We would cheat by putting on some gloves and just trying to pull at the sticker bush so that you couldn't see it anymore, but the root was still there. Dad would find out, and he would make us come back and get at the root. Because if you did not get at the root, the sticker bushes would just spread everywhere. 
And that was not fun work, but it was necessary work. Getting at the root. Well, Beyond the surface level, God is getting at your heart. And so when Adam commits sin in the Garden of Eden, and he goes in hiding, and he misses his appointment to walk with God, which was daily occurrence for him. Can you imagine such a thing? Daily walking with God. God shows up. He gives the spiritual version of, O brother, where art thou? And he doesn't do it for his own benefit, but for Adam's benefit. Because there is no hide and seek with God. And so runaway prophets are swallowed by whales and adulterous kings can't escape His presence because He is omnipresent, always there. And He's tilling at the root of your heart evermore. Jesus says, woe to the Pharisees because you are like blind guides, blind leading the blind. And it's hard to lead others when you can't see the way yourself. And the whole mission of God centers on Jesus who came to rescue those lost in darkness and to bring them into His marvelous light. And the Pharisees are unintentionally doing the opposite. They are taking people into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's in your mouth shows what's in your heart. Your fruit is revealed by your root. And then he says the heart of the problem is ultimately the problem of the heart. Look at what he says beginning in verse 18. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Wash your hands before you eat. Please do so. I saw Dallas Power a second ago with Germex after shaking hands. Probably wise to do that with flu season. Great thing to do. But don't ever think that washing your hands will cleanse your heart. And Jesus says to these Pharisees, you're concerned and you're worried about dirty hands when you ought to be far more concerned about filthy hearts. He'll say things to them like, you are whitewashed on the outside, but on the inside you are full of dead men's bones. And he points at a cemetery, tradition has it, while he's saying that. And outside of God, if He is not the source of your strength, if you are going through the motions as a religious person, then you are a dead man walking spiritually. And no one or no thing can raise you back from the dead except the one who raised His Son from the dead. Not relationships, not money, not power, not status, not success. Only the one who created you in the first place can bring you back. And so what Jesus consistently reminds us in His teaching is that we don't primarily have an anger problem or a gossip problem or a lust problem or a greed problem or a selfishness problem or a political problem. We have a heart problem. It's the command and the control center of your life. The Bible says that's where judgment begins with the thoughts and intentions of the heart, which Hebrews 4.12 tells us about this book, that it is alive, it is powerful. It is as a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and marrow, of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so, ladies and gentlemen, regardless of whether or not you ever read this book, this book reads you, and it reads you well. And on the day of judgment, you will discover that if you don't now. The heart of the problem, he tells us, is the problem of the heart. 
I don't think we will ever fully understand the extent of our own sinfulness, our desire to rebel against the things of God in ways in which we don't often comprehend or even try to understand. But until we recognize our sinfulness, we'll never realize our need for the God who made us for Himself. I am amazed at how often my heart seeks satisfaction in things other than God. Wednesday morning, Richard Basham kidnapped me to go on a hike, which I thought was going to be seven or eight miles in Hoosier National Forest. It was 11. Let me give you guys some advice. Don't try to walk a half marathon and then go into the office afterwards. It hurts a lot. So I had some calories that had, that had been burned, and I was going to say, well, I burned all these calories, so I'm going to try to eat right. And I tell you, what, about 10 o'clock that night, I remembered that I'd seen some Doritos in the church kitchen. <laughs> They're for the student Super Bowl, by the way. I won't tell you what happened to those Doritos, but I will tell you there's two replacement bags in my car for the party tonight that I got. The temptation to be led astray, the temptation to, toward gluttony, the temptation toward the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the temptation to escape, saying maybe I could be living a, a different life, maybe there's just something else, I should leave my family, my job, and just go and try to do something else because you think that that's where you'll find the answer, and just let me tell you, if that is where you are, that voice inside your head is not your friend. And he tells us, don't judge your heart solely by your actions, but by your reactions. How do I react when things don't go my way? Because it's very revealing of the state of my heart. My actions are stirred by what's already in my heart. Somebody did a hypothetical of what King David must have thought about when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, someone not his wife, married to Uriah, who was on the battlefield away from his home. David the king commits adultery with Bathsheba. Nathan the prophet confronts him, and they do a situation of what David might have said about it if he was living in modern society. He could have said, my equilibrium was disturbed by outside influences. I was pressured. I was shaken. I was weary. I looked out my window, saw this woman. One thing led to another. That's what we instinctively say. I said this because I was stressed. I did this because I was tired or sick. My upbringing has conditioned me to react this way. But David doesn't say that. He says, what I did was I sinned against the Lord and I committed adultery in my heart. And some of us, we just need to be honest with ourselves. The reason that we commit evil on the outside is because we have evil in the inside. It's not because your consistent walk with the Lord lacks and you don't worship at His house. It's not because you have a busy schedule. It's because you haven't prioritized what's really important in your life. Or if you have, you've got idols on your hands. The, the reason we consistently overeat is because we're hoping to be satisfied and filled with food rather than God. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of his house. Listen, the reason some of you are living with somebody who's not your spouse is because ultimately you desire sex more than you desire God, or you at least aren't worried about abstaining from the appearance of evil. Some of you, the reason your marriage is in the state that it's in is not because your spouse is a bad person, it's because you want your own will rather than God's will. You have got to stop lying to yourself and start being honest. And over and over, the Scripture reminds us of what we need. What do we need? 
We need righteousness. Not our own, but the righteousness, the goodness of God. Who is it that will see God? Matthew 5 tells us. Who sees God? The pure in heart. And Jesus will say things like, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, unless you've got more righteousness than them, and they're pretty self-righteous, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. So I better have God's righteousness, in which He tells me to love Him with all my heart. Over and over throughout the Bible, you will see this phrase, harden not your heart. Heart. See, most of our problems stem from an inadequate understanding of who God is. We don't know His heart. The Pharisees knew about the problems of the heart. They just tried to fix it on the outside rather than God working on the inside. And some of you today, there's a couple of things going on. Number one, your hearts are hurting. So you've just closed them off. You spend your days right now enveloped in fear and in pride and bitterness. And you've just gotten to the point where you no longer open your heart to God and to others. Friend, that's no way to live. God never intended for you to live that way. And some of you, not, you not only have hurt hearts, but you have hardened hearts. Man, you used to desire the things of God. You used to love worship, to be in His house. You used to tell people about Him, and you don't do it anymore. And if your desire is not for the things of God, and if you don't desire for lost people to come to Christ, for them to know God, then the Bible says you are dying of spiritual heart disease. And no matter how many times you walk in these doors, no matter how many times you put something in the offering plate, you cannot honor God if your heart is far from Him. You're just paying lip service. So what do I do? Before my actions can change, my heart has to change. He says, I've got to move from focusing on the horizontal and what everybody else is doing to focusing on the vertical. Before I fix this, I better make sure this is right. And when my heart is right with God, then my heart can be right with everyone else. And so a couple of words of application. Number one, train yourselves in godliness. Train yourselves in godliness. Paul says to Timothy, you know, bodily exercise is important. It profits a little bit. But godliness is profitable in all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Fighter pilots are trained like this. They have to be. They can react immediately to rapidly changing situations. They operate $27 million war machines, and when a threat aircraft is closing in, they don't have the time to react uh, to reason. They have to rely on instinct, but it's not natural instinct. You don't just naturally grow up and be a fighter pilot. You have to have instincts shaped within them through years of training. Countless decisions that they make become automatic, but that doesn't mean they're involuntary. They voluntarily train for them. And he says in the same way that those fighter pilots train for combat and train to fly their aircraft, you and I must be trained for righteousness. We must be trained in reading His Word. We must be trained in being in His house. We must be trained in serving others so that when the day comes when our hearts are tempted, we're able to resist because we've constantly been training ourselves in righteousness. We are dependent on the Spirit of God. Train yourselves in godliness. And then number two, root what you do in Christ on what Christ has already done on your behalf and in your place. 
We don't love just to be nice to people. We love because God first loved us. We don't serve just because it's a good thing to do in the community. We serve because He first served us. We don't give simply so we won't feel guilty. We give because Christ gave the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. And it's interesting, that sounds incredibly difficult, and moment by moment, day by day, living life for God is difficult. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, spiritual persecution, mental persecution, physical persecution, emotional persecution. But he says when you begin to root yourself, something takes place. There's another science writer that, that writes about what happens when a plant or a tree first takes root. And he kind of compares it to what happens in Matthew 13, where some finds good soil, some grows on thorny ground, some grows on rocky ground. Here's what he says, that if a root really goes into place, if that seed can take root and get down there, the results are powerful. Trees' roots can swell and spell bedrock, move gallons of water daily for years. If a root takes root, the plant becomes all but indestructible. Tear apart everything above ground, everything, and most plants can still grow rebelliously back from just one intact root, more than once, more than twice. If you root yourself in God's Word, you'll be able to move mountains. You'll be able to split rocks because your life is built on a solid rock of Christ. David, the man after God's own heart, the Bible says, is constantly concerned with the state of his own heart. His words in Psalm 51, listen to this, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. What we need is a new heart. God says there's a day coming in which you will no longer have a heart of stone, you'll have a heart of flesh. And I'll take these commandments that I've written on man-made tablets and I will write them on the inscription of your heart. And when you have a heart after God, and you truly seek after Him, the things that you used to think are important don't become important anymore. And the joy that you will have will be incomparable to the one that you find in Christ. Harden not your heart. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.